Hello, I'm Katie Steckles. And I'm Peter Rowlett. Katie, what's today's mathematical object? Uh, today's mathematical object is a set of dice, uh, particularly a set of dice for playing the game Dungeons and Dragons. Which is an object, right? It's, yeah, it's a, it's a category of objects. Uh, <laughs> it's a set of dice. Yes, very good. Um, and this set of dice is, I think, mathematically interesting in the sense that it's not just... Uh, the, the standard shape of die that you would see, which would be a cube. Um, yeah. Most conventional dice are six-sided and um, cube-shaped. And uh, essentially, I find it really interesting that you can have all these different shapes of dice, um, not all of which are a cube, basically, and, and that they are still fair dice in the sense that if you, if you roll them, you're equally likely to get any one of the faces landing face up. Mm. Okay. So the, the set that you get with uh, Dungeons & Dragons, because, I mean, if you're not familiar with Dungeons & Dragons, uh, it's a role-playing game in that you pretend to be a character within the game, but every time you make a decision or do anything or, you know, try to hit someone or try to open a box or anything <laughs> that's happening in the game, uh, the person who's running the game, the Dungeon Master, will have decided what the likelihood of that is. Um, so they'll say, uh, you know, depending on how strong your character is, if you swing to hit someone, the chances of you hitting them will be um, this much out of 20 or whatever, and you roll a dice in order to determine uh, whether you've done that or not, whether you've succeeded mm -hmm. at the thing you're trying to do. Um, so in the set, you end up with a bunch of different dice because you might need to you know, get a probability out of four or eight or 10 or 12. Yeah. Um, so the set as standard is a normal six-sided dice. There's also a four-sided dice, which is the shape of a tetrahedron. Uh, that one's a bit weird because it doesn't have a flat face on top when you roll it. So it's the point that's on top that you count as being the one that you've rolled. Um, you get an eight-sided dice, which is an octahedron, eight triangular faces in a kind of double square base pyramid shape. Mm -hmm. um, a dodecahedron, which is 12 faces, and an icosahedron, which is 20. Um, and I think 20 is the one that gets used quite a lot because it's right. a lot of things are like in terms of um, your personal stats, a lot of things are out of 20 mm. or whatever. And uh, you also get with it a set of uh, two D10s. Sorry, mm. D DN is the, the lingo for a dice with that many sides. Yeah. Um, so two 10-sided dice. Which is weird, right? Because the others are platonic solids. Yes, yes. So the, the first five are, are the five platonic solids. Uh, so the, I think a lot of people look at this sort of set and, and say, oh, that's weird because it's lots of dice that aren't just cubes. And I kind of look at it as a mathematician and think, oh, that's weird because some of those aren't platonic <laughs> solids. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, so the D10s are slightly odd in that they are, yet again, we're trying to describe physical objects on a podcast yep. um, but they are two I guess two five-sided pyramids if you can imagine like a pentagon based pyramid but the two pentagons aren't stuck together like flush to each other they're offset so the points on one of the pentagons are opposite the gaps the, the edges on the other pentagon and the faces have kind of been extended so they've got a little triangle bit at the bottom so you end up with a zigzag line around the outside of the shape yeah, so you've kind of got, when you say five-sided, you mean five, you mean a flat bottom standing on the ground. If you imagine a pyramid with a flat bottom standing on the ground, and then instead of having four sides or three sides, it's got five sides, and then you've got two of those, and you're gluing their bottoms together. Yeah. If you did that, you would end up with with um, some big sides with a sort of bend in the middle, but you're actually offsetting it slightly. Yeah. So what you end up with is this zigzaggy thing. So the faces on it are actually four-sided. Yeah, they? they're, they're kind of triangles. a kite, mm. a kite on each yeah. face. Um, but because they're all equal size and the same shape, 
this still gives you a fair dice. Um, and in the D&D set, you get two of these, one of which is numbered 1 to 10, and the other one is, which is numbered 10, 20, 30, 40, up to 100. So you can use it to do percentages, I guess. Or it would be 0 up to 90, I guess. Um, so you roll both of the dice at the same time, and you get a 10s digit and a units digit good, for your... Good old, good old place value system. Yes. yes. Uh, and I, I would argue that one of those two dice is redundant. You could just roll the other one twice, but it's fine if you want some pretty dice yep. in a bag, in probably a velvet bag. <laughs> uh, this is your way forward. Um, and this is obviously like the standard set that you buy if you want to play this game. You buy like a bag of dice like this. Um, so what's fascinating about that is, is how come... Because the others all have a nice symmetry you can sort of understand how they roll fairly because they are symmetrical objects in that way. Um, although I'm looking at the eight-sided dice, trying to get my head around Anyway, yep. but in some ways, platonic solids kind of have this inherent, they're the same all around, they're the same in every direction, etc. So what what do we need to make a dice fair, a die fair otherwise? Yeah, but this is the question that's intrigued me because, you know, if, if I just put, you know, a shape together and then write some numbers on the faces, mm-hmm. if I roll it, will I get a fair dice? And... Um, I guess there are a couple of assumptions that you make here. So the first assumption would be that the substance you're making the dice out of is homogenous. So you've not got any changes in density within the shape. Because um, if you wanted a, a, if you were a con man and you wanted a die that didn't roll fair, or a you con would, woman, or a con woman, <laughs> very good, you would sort of have a have a die that was heavier on on one. Yeah, face, you could right? weight so a dice so that it's it biased towards whatever. one face. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm going to apologise now for continually saying dice instead of die. I was wondering if we were going completely to random. Yeah, I, it's it's complete potluck whether I'll say one or the other. When, when um, we started, um, my son took an interest in in dice when he was two or three or something like that, and we sort of took a decision to say dice and just not worry about die because there's also mm. people die and and <laughs> will the school teachers get it right and will he mm. just start getting annoyed with people who say dice when they mean die and do we want to raise him into this yeah, <laughs> indoctrinate I, I, him into this sort of pedantry and, I, I know yeah. Matt Parker has a strict policy of never say die right. so, <laughs> so we, we can do whatever we want um, so you're assuming that the material that the dice are made of mm. is homogenous sure. and that if you roll them they'll they'll um you know that won't affect the way that they throw um you're also assuming that when you throw the dice you're doing so in a truly random way um so my analogy for this would be if you imagine someone uh, throwing a coin which is effectively a two-sided dice but we'll not get into the, <laughs> the specifics of that just yet but if you consider a two a, fl- a flat coin yep. a, a zero thickness coin um if you just hold it flat in the air and then drop it the chances of it landing on the opposite side are not zero but mm a lot smaller than they should be. So if you want a fair toss of a dice... And you see people do this with games where it, the person's rolled a six and they just sort of bounce it up in the air. <laughs> yeah, you just pick up the dice and, and drop think, it again. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure you've rolled uh, that. <laughs> um, so you want... I guess the, you would specify that your rotation is random yeah. from, a, from a random possibility of directions and speeds I'm, of rotation. I'm slightly fascinated by the randomness of dice because there's nothing inherently random about a die, right? It's mm. it's incredibly it's a chaotic system that's incredibly sensitive to the initial conditions. Yes, and that, that's not, all you're looking for, really. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to get true randomness in so, this world, are you? But you have to, yeah, you, you, you have to have it in such a way that if you did move your hand ever so slightly or release it at a slightly different rate or whatever, it would have this huge impact. If you just had, yeah, if you were just putting it down on the table effectively, then that yeah. wouldn't count. So we're looking for sensitive dependence on initial conditions yep. in your dice throw uh, which is fine um, so given this set of assumptions um, I mean the, there are there are various uh, opinions on what the full set of fair dice is there are websites that claim to have a list of all the possible fair dice who okay. knows um, so there's which, a paper which implies that it's not infinitely many right? 
Uh, well, they've got some infinite families in there, I oh, think. Really? <laughs> um, so there's a paper from 1989 by Percy Diaconis and uh, Keller, uh, Joseph Keller, and they have basically discussed what is a fair dice and what are the possibilities. Um, and the paper ends by saying... This is still an open question, we don't know. Uh, so that's fine. But that was 1989. I imagine people have thought about this more since then. Um, but I think it is sort of a difficult question to answer for various reasons. But you can obviously find particular sets of shapes which definitely do have this property. And it's um, it's to do with um, having a sort of symmetry that is... This is harking back a little bit to the podcast about the... Um, pseudo-rhombicube octahedron in which we had this you know what is the definition of an archimedean solid what's you know what kind of symmetry do we require it to have um so the platonic solids obviously satisfy the condition of being a fair dice um i hope i mean people have just assumed that i don't know um no (laughs) they do um but also uh, one description i've heard is that you can have either something that's a platonic solid or something that's a dual of a polyhedron that's vertex symmetric so something that's symmetric with respect to its vertices so whichever way you orient it you can place a vertex in the same spot and get the same shape you can reorient it and it's symmetric that way uh, and, and the rest okay. of the shape looks the same yeah um and if you take a polyhedron with that property and then take the dual of that polyhedron so wherever there's a corner you put a face and where there's a face you put a corner um so the, the classic example of a dual polyhedron is a cube and an octahedron yeah. So you place a triangle at every corner of a cube and you get an octahedron mm-hmm. and vice versa. Um, so that means that you've got the five platonic solids, you've got the 13, sadly, uh, Archimede- Archimedean solids that have this property. So the 13 uniform polyhedra, sure. I guess, um, and two infinite families of prisms and antiprisms, the duals of those also provide fair dice. Um, I mean, it, it, it's sort of... These are the sort of basic set of things. Um, I mean, one nice um, other way of thinking about this, which sort of takes you a bit into uh, a mild amount of group theory, I guess, is if you have a point group. So a point group is a symmetry group that's a subgroup of the symmetry group of a sphere. So if you imagine a a sphere is symmetrical in lots of ways, but you could take a finite set of those symmetries. So, for example, the, the symmetries of a cube, I guess, would be a point group within that because you've got reflections in three different directions and diagonal reflections and things like that yeah. but it, it gives you a sort of subset of points okay. on the sphere that map to each other and what's important about it being a group is that you don't just take a random selection of any old symmetries but you're taking the ones that map onto each other yeah that you yeah. can combine them and, and only ever get that same set of symmetries yeah. um, so if you've got a point group and you imagine a plane you take all of the images of that point group under symmetries in that group mm-hmm. uh, sorry all the, the, the images of that plane under symmetries in that point group yep. you will get a set of planes that all intersect with each other and the dice would be the shape within that yeah so you can use that to generate like a cube or um you know octahedron or any of these sensible platonic ones but anything that's got those kinds of symmetries and um, so there'll be like cyclic ones and dihedral ones mm-hmm. and so on um so that's i guess another way to think about it is that a fair dice is anything that's the intersection of a set of half spaces under a point group of course. applied to a single plane. Um, so, so all yeah. of those categories that you said earlier all meet that. Is there, is there other stuff that meets this? Um, well, you, that's the thing. You can do other stuff as well. So uh, one nice example that someone pointed out was if you take a six-sided pencil right. and sharpen both ends of it, then you get a thing with a point on each end that obviously if it lands on that, it's not going to stay because it's not Mm. a stable 
face, but it will land on one of the six faces of the pencil. Okay. So, you know, just you sharpen it right down to a little nub, but you've sharpened both ends, so there's a point on each end. Yeah. Um, that's a fair dice. Yeah. Um, assuming consistent density, etc. Because it's got six symmetrical faces, and then it's got two points it can't land on. Yeah, so you... That's a little bit like a coin, right? Yeah, you can add extra faces that it's so, so unlikely that it will stay landed on that face as to be improbable. Like the edge of a coin. Like the edge of a coin, and... Um, that'll give you something that is also a dice. So I right. guess that steps outside of this mm. original set of, of definitions. Um, and I think, because there's another angle on this as well, which uh, I think Matt Parker did a thing about a little while ago. He keeps getting mentioned. What is that? Mm. It's almost like he does a lot of stuff. Um, and uh, it was, if I have a coin that's thicker than a regular coin, how thick does it have to be before it becomes a three-sided dice? Because obviously, if you flip a coin normally, there is a very tiny but finite, non-zero chance that it will land exactly on its edge. Yes. And, you know, it's it's happened. <laughs> you know, people have obviously <laughs> immediately got a camera out every time it's happened. Um, so. But, but there are other cylinders, for example, my water bottle here, that if I throw it in the air, it may well land on its edge. Yeah, and, and is likely to. So pencil mm. is the, the classic right. opposite. It's the inverse of a coin <laughs> in some sense. And... Um, there must be somewhere in between coin and pencil mm. that I'm, I'm there talking about a cylindrical pencil, not a hexagonal <laughs> cross-section <laughs> pencil. Uh, but there's somewhere in between that it will be equally likely to land on the side as it is on the end. Mm -hmm. um, this is a pencil that you haven't sharpened on either end, to be clear. So it's it's kind of a fun question because when we looked at this, we had a play with this for the video that Matt did, and we were trying to work out, you know, how do you calculate that length? You know, mm -hmm. do you say you want the area of the uh, outside face to be equal to the area of the other two, or is it to do with volume? Or like there were, there were a few different ways that different people came up with mm. to calculate this, and all of them gave a different answer. So okay. <laughs> we're not really, and all of them were sort of plausible. Like I would agree that that's probably something that that would work, yeah. and then they all gave a different answer, and and we checked our working, and it definitely wasn't a maths error, mm. uh, which is a bit annoying. But what Matt did was a statistical check. So right. he got loads of people to either 3D print or get posted a set of coins mm. or cut up a broom handle or whatever right. of different thicknesses and throw them all as many times as you can be bothered and record all the results. <laughs> right. um, and I think he got like school class groups involved and this, that and the other to try and collect as much data as possible as like if the ratio from, of, of length to diameter mm. of the circle is this, how often does it land edge and, and yeah. face um, and you know the the results of that were I think it's sort of still going they're still <laughs> kind of collecting data at some point Matt will do a results video if he hasn't already um, but what's interesting about that is that having read a bit more around it I think it depends on how you throw the thing so if your way of throwing it is like flipping a coin that's different to if you're throwing it like a dice yeah. and I think Matt encouraged people to throw it in a consistent way but you can't really guarantee that if people right. are yeah. doing this at home as, a, as an experiment. Um, and I think because the other example of this kind of thing is um, if you have a square-based pyramid, um, the square is the base is square and big, and then you've got four triangles making up the sides of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. um, there will be some height of triangle that you can choose. If you just take the point of the triangle and move it upwards, you'll get taller and taller isosceles triangles. Yeah. 
Um, at some point, there'll be equilateral triangles, but there'll be somewhere on that scale that will give you an equal probability of landing on one of the triangles as there is on the square. I kind of love this argument. You could definitely build one where it's more likely to land on one of the faces. You can definitely build one where it's more likely to land on the bottom. Therefore, in between the two, yeah. there must be a point where... Well, it's, yeah. it's this sort of classic maths thing where yeah. you have, like, intermediate value <laughs> yes. theorem. Like, there must be... Like, I can prove that this exists because it can go one way or the other. Yep. So there must be something in the middle. Can't tell you exactly what it is, yes. but it's somewhere in there. Yes. Uh, and you can probably approximate it by you know mm. testing and so on but again there must be some way to calculate what that needs to be but yeah. who knows and i think it will also i suspect depend on mm, your method of throwing of and the, the dynamics of sure. that uh, so i guess you know if you want something to be a fair dice make it test it a million times mm. and if it lands with an equal number of a roughly equal number of times on each face because um, this was one of the things Matt did in his videos so they did uh, like a statistical test to say given that this is the distribution we got what is the probability that this would have happened if it was a fair dice mm. uh, and what's the probability that this just happened co coincidentally anyway right. so you know you roll it a hundred times and each of five things comes up 20 times each what are the chances of that happening if it's not a fair dice? Yeah. And, and, you know, probability can tell you whether the fact that it's come up an equal number of times of each is just what would have happened mm. anyway, or if it's because you've actually got a fair object. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's possible to, to get this sort of within tolerance. And if you are just playing a game of snakes and ladders with your friends, <laughs> it's probably not that important, to be honest, especially no. if you're all playing with the same dice, so you all get the same distribution of probabilities yeah. so yeah. it doesn't really matter if there's money involved mm. you maybe want to be a bit more careful and i imagine casinos have very very strict yes. um dice production mm. roles i'm just thinking back to the film oceans 13 in which one of the incredibly improbable things that happened <laughs> was they got someone to work in a dice factory to produce weighted oh. i think it was even it was worse than that it just made weighted dice they put some kind of microchip in them that meant that you could press a button in your pocket and they jump and turn over <laughs> It was, it, the whole film is just nonsense, uh, but very enjoyable nonsense. Um, but, you know, casinos, they had a lot of hassle trying to get them into the casino. They had to, you know, distract right. people and, and swap out the dice for these fixed dice. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, in reality, that's something they're probably quite careful about. Because if yeah. you could prove that there was a mm. bias in the dice, then obviously the casinos could make a fortune. Yeah. In fact, they probably already do that, don't they? They probably already have... Dice weighted towards, oh, but you, I guess, because you can also bet on ones, right? You can bet well, on any outcome. Yeah, and casinos work by the game being rigged towards the house rather than the the actual yeah dishonest material. Yeah, they, they've already got the maths pinned <laughs> yeah. down, I think. Yeah, um, but yeah, so for for normal home purposes mm. for your Dungeons and Dragons adventures, it's probably whatever you know, yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, but I'd be interested to see if anyone comes up with a new design of dice like mm. these, because you get these. Um, uh, they, they, call, they call them skew dice and um, we sell them on mass gear and we've got a few other places that sell them as well but they look weird but they are actually fair dice right. and they've, they've distorted the faces somehow yeah. um, and I think it's just because there is one of these shapes that's got faces that are rhombuses or mm -hmm. kites or whatever and if you map the faces of a regular dice onto those it looks really wrong yes. but actually if you took the, the spots off the faces and, and ignored the fact that they've got this skewed image on them, mm. they probably would look quite symmetrical right. as an object. Yeah. Um, but that, they're kind of fun because mm. it's just like there's no way this is a fair dice, but apparently yeah. it is. Yeah. 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 I mean, obviously, I don't, I've, I've researched this very briefly, but there is, a th so Percy Diaconis, who wrote this original paper, has now done a video uh, for Numberphile about this in which he talks about fair dice. 
Um, and contrary to popular belief, I've not seen every number file video. <laughs> um, people come up to me and say, because, assuming because I'm in number file videos, oh, you must have seen this new one that's out. Like, mm, I don't really have the time to watch every single video that Brady does. He is incredibly prolific. Um, but yeah, that's I, I'll call that further reading if anyone wants to explore this further. Good. So we're on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Peter Ollett. I'm at Stex. And we both blog at aperiodical.com. And if you want to get in touch with us, uh, suggest an object or anything else, then you can email us object at The music is Funk Game Loop by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons.